0: I, 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 I suppose that maybe the best way of phrasing it would just be to not set a false idol up. The poem is the thing. It's like a menu in a restaurant. They're helpful. You want them. You know, you don't order food without a menu. But they're not the main of You can't eat the menu. So the conversation that we've had about the poem is the menu. But the meal, what nourishes us, is just reading the poem. Hi, everyone. In today's recording, I'll be walking through Gerard Manley Hopkins' poem as Kingfisher's Catch Fire. This is a recording from a class I taught about this poem, and so I had to cut out some student comments, sadly, that were inaudible. But nevertheless, I think it was a great chat. In addition to talking about the poem itself, I use it as a kind of case study to outline my approach to poetry, which, as you'll see, is kind of flagrantly unscholastic. At any rate, I hope you enjoy it. I start with a story, um, a story of the Buddha. You can find this in Buddha scriptures. I think it's called the Flower Sermon. Buddha is sitting in front of an audience of novitiate monks and he holds up a flower. He doesn't say anything. He just sits there in silence and he holds up this flower and he waits. And his audience waits for him to say something, waits for something to happen. His audience stares at the flower, but the Buddha says nothing And suddenly at the back, one of the monks, one of the student monks, smiles because he's, quote-unquote, gotten it. And in response to this smile, the Buddha smiles because the Buddha recognizes that he's gotten it. What is there to be gotten? The point of this story is that all of those other monks in the audience were looking for something beyond the flower or inside of the flower, the true flowerness of the flower. They They were waiting for something to be revealed to them. And the moment that one monk in the back smiled, he smiled because he recognized, oh, I'm being shown a flower. What I'm being taught here is that enlightenment is right on the surface. There's nothing to see, there's no inner flowerness that needs to be discovered. There's no flowerness beyond the flower that needs to be discovered. It's all right here. Enlightenment is right on the surface. I have a very similar opinion about poetry. Very, very, very similar opinion about poetry. I realize the story slightly puts me in the position of the Buddha, which is hilarious. But I think attention is all I have to teach you. Attention. I I put on the syllabus, the the fake syllabus of this course, that I have nothing to teach you, which is kind of a joke, but also, like most jokes, true. There's this wonderful Socratic dialogue, Plato, in which Socrates is called Mino. Socrates is conversing with this man named Mino. They're asking each other what virtue is. Can we define it? Can we find examples of it? What is it really? Anyway, at one point in this um, dialogue, Socrates fetches this... Young boy who he's a slave, you know, he has got no education. I don't know if his age is given in the dialogue, I can't remember, but I always picture my own son is nine, so I always picture a boy about that age and Socrates starts asking this boy questions about triangles, so he starts drawing these triangles, I imagine in the sand or something, yeah, and just through deduction, he starts asking this boy questions about triangles like i don't <laughs> I don't know anything about triangles, so i can't I can't remember an example of the question but hypotenuses or something like. He, he would ask the boy, like, oh, if I drew this here, what would this side be? Would this side equal this side? You know what I mean? And the boy can kind of get it. The first time the boy gets the, the answer wrong, but Socrates just asks again, and the boy says, oh, yeah, I see. Oh, no, okay, then it would be this way. The point that Socrates makes is that Socrates, he, Socrates claims that he has nothing to teach, that all he does is to awaken knowledge that people already have, that they were born with that even people who lack any formal education already contain. That's, That's what Socrates proclaimed as his job. So very similarly, I don't really have much to teach you. I think what I can maybe do is awaken things inside of you that you already knew or knew how to do, but perhaps don't realize it or have forgotten or have been misled into thinking that those thoughts aren't true or good enough. So this is all I can teach you you all already have the skills to enjoy great poetry. Every skill or capacity or piece of information you need to enjoy great poetry, you already possess. In fact, I believe you possess these skills as a very, very small child. That's number one. That's what I teach. The only other thing that maybe I teach is that, okay, if you you do pay a little bit of attention to a poem, more might come out of it, but not drastically more. Imagine that flower story. Picture a child looking at a flower that child is having a full, authentic experience. That child sees what there is to see. If You would say that child pay really close attention. What that child might see is, oh, interesting. Red isn't one color. There's like shades. It kind of bleeds from light red to dark red on this petal. Or, oh, it's not a smooth surface. There's texture here. There's little bumps on this petal. A child might see that. But a child is totally capable of seeing those things. Isn't she? She is, yeah? And Care, paying careful attention to a flower won't suddenly change it into a stone. You know it's not as if the more you stare at a flower, the more it becomes not a flower. So I've thinking a lot about pie lately. It's that time of the year. You can eat your pie while reading the news, and you can enjoy it. That's really yeah, I've done that and tasted the pie and enjoyed it. or you can slow down. put your phone away and slow down, and just focus on the pie. And more subtle things will come out, subtle things in flavor and texture. But it's not as if you'll suddenly realize that it's not a pie. It's a turkey sandwich. You know what I mean? It's not really going to change that much. So interpreting the poem or talking about the poem or going through one line at a time as we're about to, isn't going to suddenly reveal to you much more than just a first quick reading will. The pleasures are right on the surface, so I I wrote down two hypotheses that I want to actually write on the board. Hypothesis number one. No higher education is required. I'm thinking, okay, can I go then? If no higher education is required, can I go? Number 2 All observe any all, any all, Observation will improve our marginally... How is that word spelled? That, that says marginally. I don't know how to spell it. Hypothesis number one is that no higher education is required to have a full and deep and rich experience of this poem. Hypothesis number two, even if we chew on specific words and phrases of this poem for a full hour... Our experience of the poem will only become marginally richer. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, it's not suddenly going to become something that it wasn't on a first reading. I don't want to be too dogmatic about this, of course. I mean, I've been wrong many times in my life. Maybe these hypotheses are false. And, of course, there are exceptions. There There are exceptions which I would want to honor. But it's just that I don't like theories because they turn the unique into the general and the unique has to remain the unique we don't like generalizations being made about ourselves for example here's a phrase that will hopefully if you're paying attention tick you off no matter how you imagine this phrase being completed a woman is you see something in you clenches a little bit no matter how we think we could complete that sentence it doesn't matter how we complete that sentence you don't like being reduced to this category i think we should equally recoil at phrases like a poem is or a line is we have to approach this in a case by case basis there are many there are as many ways of being a poem as there are of being a woman you know or a human so it's true that maybe you you might be thinking oh this is a kind of simple poem you've probably already read it five times while i've been rambling you might be thinking oh this is a um pretty easy poem and it's a pretty small poem maybe these two hypotheses would be proved false if you brought us a harder poem and i might be bringing you a harder poem on wednesday but i actually think on the spectrum of difficulty quote-unquote hopkins is on the side of difficult his syntax and his word order and his diction is not immediately clear this isn't you know mary oliver or billy collins i'm just going to read it i'm going to read the whole thing right through So it's called As Kingfisher's Catch Fire by Gerard Manley Hopkins. As kingfisher's catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells, stones ring. Like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors, each one dwells. Selves goes itself myself it speaks and spells crying what i do is me for that i came i say more the just man justices keeps grace that keeps all his goings graces acts in god's eye what in god's eye he is christ for christ plays in ten thousand places lovely in limbs And lovely in eyes not his to the father through the features of men's faces. How beautiful is that? It's instantly wow-inducing. It's instantly this mouthful of fireworks and this mindful of ideas. And you know I think the proper response, like when my kids were littler, they Don't worry, a question is coming. I'm gonna shut up now. But when my kids were littler, I'd swing them up in the air and they'd say, we do that again. That's what this poem kind of is. It's an experience that we think with our, we, it's an experience we have with our full bodies. And I think the appropriate reaction is to say, we do that again, you know, no thinking is required, no higher, no higher education is required to experience this poem. And when I read it, I'm not thinking at all, really, I'm just trying to be in it, go with the wave, the flow of the wave. Let's, let's know, let's try to notice what we notice. You might say, oh, he has notes. He's like done homework. He has PhD-level observations about this poem that belie these very hypotheses. No, no, these are just ideas that came to me in like 30 minutes. I was reading this poem. Oh, here's an idea. Here's a thing. Here's a reaction. Here's a reaction. It will be no different from what is about to happen right now out loud. As, so let's stare really hard at the poem. As kingfishers catch fire, what I immediately notice is alliteration and assonance. Ah, ah, as kingfishers catch, fishers fire, king catch. So already it's this proliferation of A and K and shook, catch, fishers, right? The first phrase of this poem is a bundle of echoes. Second thing I notice is this word catch. Any ideas about this word? How is this word being used? What does this word mean? As they catch fire. Finally, I'm shutting up. Janaina? Um, I feel like it's not meaning catch, like, playing baseball, right? They didn't, like, catch a ball fire. It's more like they caught fire, like they're excited. Totally. Imagine that you're at a lake and you see this flame shoot into the water because the, the, the feathers are slightly iridescent and they catch the sunlight. They catch the sunlight, yeah? So the bird catches fire. But I, I bet the first meaning is there, too, don't you think? Because what is the kingfisher literally trying to catch? fish. This isn't a trick question. There are no trick questions. Kingfisher is trying to catch fish. What a great metaphor for what it's trying to catch. Shiny things that waver and flicker and that are hard to grasp. So I know when I stare at this at this poem for, you know, how long did that take us to observe? 15 seconds? I think, oh, one word is doing two things. It means that the kingfisher catches on fire, but it means that what it's trying to grab with its beak is flame-like beautiful it's absolutely beautiful isn't it dragonflies draw flame any other observations to add to what amanda is saying about this phrase focus on this word draw why that word draw the d alliteration yeah that's true is it doing double triple duty you know you've done those slow motion maybe you haven't photographs where you leave the aperture open for a long time and you take a lighter or something or a glow stick you can spell a word that's what i thought of so you can like draw the dragonfly is drawing on the air with the flame of its body. But, I don't know. Any other ideas? Why this verb? Yes. I mean, I just thought draw, I, my first reaction was like, oh, you like, draw flat and draw, you draw water, you know? Which oh, I like that. What would this mean, though? The dragonfly is drawing water out of, it's drawing it's flame out of, the, maybe the way that it reflects the sunlight is, yeah, like sucking that that flame essence onto its own self. That's, that's pretty good. Janae. Um, I think like when I hear draw, the first of it like a bow. Wow, so see this like is very good. Me, the dragonflies, like, dart around really fast You draw you draw a bow and they can shoot right off. That's very good. That had not occurred to me. Excellent, excellent. As tumbled over rim in roundy wells. Now, I'm not asking you to interpret this line. How does your body or your mind react to it? We notice certain things about it, right? And I could tell you what's noticeable about it to me, but I want to do less talking. So if what you notice is, hey, I don't get it, just notice that. that That's worthy of being noticed. So what is noticeable here? Has tumbled over rim in roundy wells. Amanda? Oh, very good, very good. It's a very noticeable and regular meter slash rhythm. It's very regularly iambic, unlike the first line. The first line is bump, 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 bump. Bum, 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 bum. So no pattern really to decipher. Second line reassures us with very regular pattern. Bum, 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 bum. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells. Great observation. Regular meter. Other observations. Jenea? I instantly get confused because I'm trying to figure out, like, what's the subject, what's the verb? <laughs> Me too. Is, in, is there in that line a noun that is the subject of the sentence? I think, no. Isn't one of the first things that happens to you when you read this? Either in your gut or your brain, something in your body says, wait, what? (laughs) Right? Wait, wait, what? What am I looking at? What is tumbling over the rim of the wells? We don't actually know yet. So we notice that. We call that, what do we call that? Suspense? Withholding? Something is being withheld. No one is going to comment on this wonderfully childlike word, roundy? That stood out to nobody? Roundy? It stood out to you. It, to you. it doesn't make any sense because the rest of these lines seem to have a very adult tone to them. But I can hear like a child. Yeah, it's like, I want that cookie. Which one? The square one? No, the roundy one. <laughs> what a child would say. Yeah, the roundy one. Why roundy? I. Here's my answer, because it's fun. This is slightly weird. Because he knows, Gerard Manley Hopkins knows, that a reader will read that thing. think, hmm, weird. Cool. Roundy. Cool. Yeah? I don't know. Okay, should we keep going? Any more observations about that line? I want to make sure we don't get bogged down here. As tumbled over rim in roundy wells, stones ring. A relief. A noun. A subject. It's the stones that fall over the wells. Have you ever dropped a stone into a well? It's like a giant... It's like you're playing a giant musical instrument, isn't it? You hear this wonderful echo. That's a great... I love that idea. I just love it. Stones have a ring in them that you can draw out of them if you drop them into a well. Going, going, gone. Should we keep going? Like each tucked string tells. What I notice about that is a lot of stresses. Each tucked string tells. Variation of meter there. Why do that? I don't like this question why. I really don't. I'll tell you in a minute why I don't like it, but I'll ask it now for for the sake of... But I don't know why. Why? Why vary the meter in a poem? So now we're just speaking generally. Why would a poet want to vary meter in a poem? Beth? Um, I've always thought that it was to emphasize something. Great. Totally great. There's something here that needs to be paid attention to. There could be other reasons. Yes, Jenea? Well, with your poem, sometimes you have a poem that like, perfectly follows a um, meter. It can get boring or it can get boring. Yes. It sounds both boring and immature and snooze-inducing. It actually reminds me of, um, well, you know how when you are learning to play the piano um, or when you watch a great concert, concert pianist, they add this wonderful human touch of varying the speed? They don't plod along to a metronome. I mean, they keep that as a structure in the background, but they'll add very wonderfully subtle flourishes of slowing up or speeding down. My son was born six weeks early. I've said this before. Me and my wife, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. We were at Del Taco eating tacos. And my wife, you're told, you know, she was reading all the books, all the pregnancy apps, you know. One thing she learned was that you're supposed to count fetal movements. You were recently pregnant. I'm pointing this way because you were recently pregnant. You're supposed to count fetal movements. I don't know if there's like a, a target number or something. And you apparently you can notice if you drink like orange juice or sugary food or something they get hyper? I don't know if this is true. She's counting fetal movements and just noticing them and making sure that the baby is still awake and alive. And at this moment, she says, you know, he hasn't moved in several hours. I think, hmm, okay, add some more hot sauce. Let's see what happens. (laughs) So we go home a few hours later. No movement, still nothing. Okay, let's call your doctor. She calls the doctor. The doctor says, you better come in. We go in. They strap her up to these machines and they measure the fetal heartbeat and i can watch this diagram of the heartbeat on this machine on this monitor and it looks good to me you know i see ups i see downs i said i see a heart beating there's a heart beating the nurses are like hmm getting worried looks her doctor comes in Her doctor was clearly coming from the golf course. I love this doctor. Her name was Karen Boheme. Her doctor's name was shout out to Karen Boheme. She comes in wearing a golf cap and like golf shorts. She's clearly been golfing. We've interrupted her. First thing the doctor says when she looks at this chart is prep for surgery. You're having the baby right now because they don't, it's bad news if the heartbeat is too regular. If there's no variation in the heartbeat, it's bad. A live, living person will have a faster-paced one and then a slower-paced one, and then a faster-paced one, and then a slower-paced one. So it's very much what you were saying, Janea, Like You want this poem to sound like a living, organic entity that is dynamic and changes and varies itself. So there may be moments in the poem where you want to emphasize a specific moment or a specific image. So yeah, I'll highlight that. There could just be a generic reason to say it's not this particular phrase per se that I want to emphasize, but I just want emphasis somewhere so that the poem, instead of like totally regular robotronic up and down, yes, master, I can do this pattern, it's a kind of thing that breathes with its own motion and has a heartbeat at its own pace. Where was I? Like each tucked string tells tucked, is this just a synonym for plucked? It's a strange noise, isn't it? Hopefully that won't annoy us the rest of the day. I don't know what to make of this word tucked. I'm kind of, I looked it up in the dictionary actually because I thought "Hmm, tucked has something to do with drumming, but of course we get the T alliteration too. Each hung bells, stones ring, like each tucked string tells each hung bells. I mean, we're, we're, we're belaboring the obvious, aren't we? Wonderful alliteration. This next word is tricky for me. Bow. Is that bow or Bow. As tumbled over him in roundy wells, stones ring like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's... I don't know. I I never know how to read this word. Can anyone be more assertive than me? Like the bow of a ship? The front of the bell? Each bow swung finds tongue? Each bow? I don't know. I like this idea of the drawing like the bow, because it has an echo there. Each hung bell's bow bow swung finds tongue? because bells have tongues, get it, to fling out broad its name. So it, it's using the metaphors of music in a very musical way. So he's ratcheting up the musicality of the language, alliteration, assonance. He's reinforcing that through his use of metaphors, lots of musical metaphors. That's great. Each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to, to swing out broad its name. Somebody asked in that survey, our poet. the question was something like, do poets make choices consciously or through inspiration? When do you know in a poem when something is made through conscious choice or inspiration? I do kind of consider this a trick question, but I didn't ask it, (laughs) so that's okay, right? Which of these words that we've talked about so far were used deliberately through conscious choice, and which, quote-unquote, just came to him? What do you think? You're doing this, Amanda. Translate this motion into words. I mean, see, I'm a writer not of poetry, but I I just kind of like laughed at myself a little bit whenever I'm like in an English class and they're like, oh yeah author yeah, totally did that on purpose. And I'm like, uh-huh yep, I, I can take credit for everything I do. But like I don't know, it's like in this weird middle ground because like you can write something and then you give it more time and you come back and that's why we have drafts right? We're like, oh, this is not working and here's why and I can fix it. We can't really know. And even if you give it six months, it's like Conscious choice, deliberation. Maybe there was a better word, it just didn't come to you. So lack of inspiration is the same as maybe conscious choice. But isn't it also possible that conscious choice is simply inspiration slowed down? You know what I mean? Are these? Is this a question or are these ideas increasing the power of the poem or our experience with it? Oh, well, he must have chosen tucked to get the alliteration with tells for tea. I think, well, sure. Here's my theory of poetry. Poets write stuff that they want to sound cool. And sometimes it sounds cool and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they can make it sound cool and sometimes they can't. I mean, where do any of our ideas actually come from? Do we know? The dark abyss that is our souls, wherever that weird noise is coming from? Yes. We want to know. I mean, I understand why that question is asked because we want to know. Like, because maybe we want to write a poem of our own and think, where should my word choices come from? Is it bad that I'm deliberating over this for so long? Should Or is it bad that I'm not a, deliberating over it long enough? But who knows? The Tao Te Ching, remember? The Tao that can be spoken of is not the true Tao. We can't know. I'm letting the, the musicality of each, each hung bell's bow swung f- finds tongue to fling out broad its name. We're being sung to right now by some hideous demon. <laughs> each moral thing does one thing in the same. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. So now he's extending it. All things do this. Deals out that being indoors each one dwells. I'm confused by indoors. So I get it. Like a stone has an inner sound. And if you plunk one stone down a well, it will, sound, it will make one sound. If you plunk a different stone down a, that well, it'll make a different sound. Each mortal thing is the same. Rachel is Rachel. Rachel is not Amanda. Amanda is not Jenea. Each mortal thing does one thing. You, what you do is you, Amanda. That's what you do. One thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors. I, I don't know. I, I chewed that gristle for a long time. Not sure I got anywhere with it. Indoors. Can anyone help me with this? Yes, Beth. Um, I feel like it's saying like indoors in and tunnels is in like on the side. That's what that that's that makes sense to me because I thought yeah in. Inside the stone is its density or its particular mineralogical composition is is what gives it that resonant sound. So inside of you there is a ness. There's an Amanda ness. You know what I mean? And it's it's not over there. It's got to be somewhere in there. Deals out that being indoors each one dwells. Semicolon. Selves. Isn't that the best? What component of speech is this? Noun? Verb? Adjective? What do you think? It seems like the verb to me it says, each one loves selves. That's my first reaction to it. Is that I am selving right now. Look at me selve. I'm selving. Amanda amandas or she selves. This is what each, this mask selves. It's doing what it does. It selves, you know? I love that. I absolutely love it. It goes itself. It's going. It goes, transitive verb, itself direct object you know what i mean it's going itself i'm going myself right now i'm doing myself you can only go yourself you can't go someone else no matter how many cool kids you try to imitate it will always not be you you can only do yourself myself it speaks and spells that's clear enough i think isn't it let's take that noise as a good this is a good object lesson it sounds like the dentist that's interesting it, we it's saying what is it saying it's saying itself myself it speaks and spells i am that root canal that you've been <laughs> that you've been putting off <laughs> i am that root canal it tolls the root canal that tolls for thee that's so funny myself it speaks and spells crying what i do is me for that i came you know like look at this marker according to this poem this has an inner essence, a reason for being. What I do is me, for that I came. I came to write on whiteboards. That's me. I say more. It's an interesting line. I noticed something strange about this. It's right on the surface, so it's not deep. This is a specific question with a specific answer. What's new about this? Some new element has entered the poem. Jenea. The word I. Who has been speaking the whole time... Whoever that is has been hiding himself. He suddenly announces himself here. I say more. The just man justices, keeps grace. That keeps all his goings graces. Any thoughts about this? Keeps all his goings graces. If the just man is just, all his goings are graceful. Moving on. Acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is. Dash Christ. Could we articulate how this word Christ is being used? Is it uh, an exclamation? Does it follow syntactically what came before it or what goes after it? How do you experience this word Christ, Jenea? like, I don't know. I, call it I call it Okay, yeah. Acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, which is Christ. The just man justices, keeps grace, that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye, what in God's eye he is? Christ. For Christ plays in ten thousand places. Here's an idea. We've talked about verbs, we've talked about stresses, we've talked about assonance, alliteration. Here's an idea. The poem says, here's an idea. What do you think about this idea? Is Christ in a stone? Or a bell? Or a kingfisher? Josh? I feel like throughout this, it's a saying, at least the My takeaway is that everything that is completely itself, or just being one with itself, is Christ-like, you know? Oh, very good. Perfection is not the essence of becoming something that you're not, but perfection is becoming completely what you are. And I feel like that's what this poem is kind of getting at. And one thing I like is that, I mean, what I do is me, for that I came. You know, as soon as I read that, it feels it's a very scriptural line. And then... Well, I just think this whole poem does a great job of foreshadowing. I mean, just like the word draw in the first line, we associated well, like I associated drawing water from a well from that, and then the next line, we associate a bow with it, with photos, right? and then like this says what I do is mean for that I came, and it brings in like a scriptural uh, element to it, and then we get kind of, <laughs> then we get Christ. and then it doubles down on that. So I don't know, I feel like this poem like overlaps and it just
1: plays with itself. It's an
0: extremely well-made poem. Yeah. But I like what you say, backing up a little bit, I like what you say about Christ being in everything. Be ye therefore perfect, we know I think I've brought this up in this class before, it means be ye therefore whole. Greek word means not without sin or flaw, but wholeness. Be your whole self. Have I quoted this Pindar poem in this class before? Pindar in a poem says, Become what you are, having learned what that is. Have I quoted this before? Become what you are, having learned what that is. This is the purpose of life. If someone asks you what the purpose of life is, I think this is the answer. (laughs) Pay attention, everyone. What is the purpose of life? Become what you are, having learned what that is. So you're in seed form as a child, or larval form. And even now, in your 20s, even me in my 30s, my late 30s, my very late 30s, what exactly am I? I can kind of start to see the butterfly, (laughs) if it is that. That this pupa was made to become? Kind of. It's starting to emerge. But that's your job. There's a you that is only in you and nowhere else. And that's your job. And Christ kind of, does he not, lives this out for us. I'm trying to be like Jesus means, don't say what the Pharisees say you should do. Be yourself. For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs. I'll ask you a very dangerous question. Think about a person who has limbs that you really love. Oh dear, it's getting a bit too sensual. Think about a person who has limbs that you really love. Is Christ in that? Lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his. To the Father through the features of men's faces. Every face contains or is a reflection of the face of Christ. Somebody asked me... Um, How do I know I'm I'm not importing my own religion or my own values or my own beliefs into the poem? Remember this? Person out there, whoever you are. We've been doing that this whole hour. Oh, I think of a bow. Oh, I think of this. Oh, I bring this scriptural allusion to it. Can you come to a poem as a blank slate? I think you cannot. It's possible that you first saw King Lear out in a field, in a park, an amphitheater in the English countryside as the sun was going down. King Lear will always have that glowing tinge associated with it for you or maybe your father brought it home to you on a vhs and it will always have that weird clunky vhsness to it about you you can't come to a poem as a blank slate the experience of reading a poem is a chemical reaction in which element a reacts with element b creating element c so bring yourself to the poem in fact that's not that's not just the only way to read It's a wonderful way to read. What sparks does this set off inside of my own chemistry? And if those are certain religious sparks, so what? You're a human and the poem is feeding you, and it might feed someone else in another way. Is this bad? Is it avoidable? No. Is it bad? No. I think. That's my answer to that first question. Then people were asking about the natural man and wait, the Tao De Jing, don't you have to be good? Now, of course, this isn't a religion class, and I wouldn't pretend to teach you what to believe. I'm not a theologian, but the poem and many, 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 many poems, as a poetry class, one thing's poems. One thing that poems do very often is ask us to think about ideas. Is it true that what what you do is you, and that that's enough, and that Christ is in you? Does God love us? In other words, does God love us just the way we are, no matter what? You don't. You you might not like me phrasing it this way because it, it's kind of stereotypical, but. And, you know, single parents do heroic work and succeed a lot, but it's not ideal. You know what I mean? It's not ideal. It's hard for everyone involved. Stereotypically speaking, the mom says to the baby, you are perfect. And to the child, you're absolutely perfect. And it's the dad that says, come on, you can be better. You know, do more. Aim higher. I know that that's kind of stereotypical, but seven out of 10 times, it is the mom that says you're perfect. And it is the dad that says, come on, is that the best you can do? i think the point is we need both don't we we need both influences in our lives do we not we need someone telling us nothing you need to change about yourself for me to love you if you want my love you have it it's unconditional it doesn't depend on any of your traits any of your actions any of your behavior any of your words we also need someone there to say come on Be better. You know what I mean? I just think that in our culture we – so this is me thinking. I just think. I just think. I just think. That in our culture we emphasize the one way more than the other. We emphasize the one that says do more, be better. My wife and I are talking about violence in movies. I swear this relates. She doesn't like violent movies and yet one of her favorite film directors is David Lynch who makes incredibly violent movies. but i really don't like the violence i don't and the conclusion we came to is that she likes that it's there because it's the it's the it's the badness that makes the goodness good if that makes sense the goodness wouldn't feel good if there wasn't badness a plucked string think about a plucked string since we're reading this poem a plucked string is a thing literally that is being pulled in two directions at once you take it think of a guitar You take a string and you go like this and you let it go. And it's being pulled back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This is called music. So for there to be music, you need this pull of opposites. You need this pull of opposites. So a human is right in this pull of opposites. Humans are told, be better, but also you're good. We get one message more than another. So if anything, I'm just maybe reacting as a kind of counterbalance. And I want to say, let's not strive to be perfect or better. Let's try to do what we were for that we came. Instead of trying to be better, you know, instead of trying, like marking your sins for the day, just try to be more you. You know what I mean? For that you came. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. I think that that's true. I'll tell you a gloomy story. But it has a happy ending. I've been recently getting nostalgic. This is all, whoever's fault it is that asked this question about the natural man is all your fault. But it's all, I mean, this happens to me when I read a poem. When I read a poem, I think, and we'll get to this, too. We'll see if these are confirmed or right? When, when I read a poem, I think, what I do is me for that I came. And what happens in my body is this kind of like, oh, yeah, that is, I don't have to be a better dad. I just have to be the dad that I am. What a relief. When I read a poem, that's what happens to me. For me, that's what poems are for. I've been very nostalgic for my mission lately. It's been 18 years since I came home from my mission. Can you believe it? They're like, of course you can. We see those wrinkles. Um, 18 years since I came home from my mission. I'm getting quite nostalgic. Emailing former people, former companions. One person I got in touch with, this person I absolutely adore on my mission. He wasn't my companion, but we served in the same city. There were just four missionaries there. So we all were quite close. I, did, I just, I really looked up to him, really loved him. He was so funny and so smart. And he was just like really a great guy. So kind, too. Hey, what's up? He emailed me back. Oh, he said, my story is kind of gloomy and not interesting. Um, but how are you? And I responded. I said, okay, but I want to hear your story. If it's gloomy and interesting, can you tell it to me? How, how has your life been? He said, well, I came home. You know, I tried to go to school. I couldn't really. You know, I was at BYU for a few semesters. It didn't really work. I don't know why. Got a job. I couldn't really go to work. I don't know why dated this girl for a while, thought maybe I should marry her, but we didn't, you know. And he said, so when I was around 30 years old, I thought that suicide was the best option for me. That's what he said in this email to me. And then he said, but my family, I I can't remember exactly the way he phrased it. He said, but my family convinced me that they wanted, because he thought he said, because I don't do anything. I just sit around all day. I can't, I can barely get the motivation to shower. I've tried this, Therapy, I've tried that medication. Nothing works. So I I literally do nothing all day. Sometimes, he says, I, I can maybe manage to like go get groceries for his grandma that lives in his house there with him. I thought suicide was the best option. And then he said, but my family convinced me that they wanted me around in whatever state, that me present in whatever state was better than me absent. That's what he said in the email me present in whatever state was better than me absent so he said so here i am still doing nothing i thought it's very gloomy and sad story but it does have this i thought i read that email and i thought that is one of the most beautiful things i've ever heard they want him because he's him they're not saying we'll only love you if you get a job or get married they want him they want him so do we have to be good i don't Really think so? I mean, all you have to do is think of the story of the prodigal son. You know, the feast was always waiting. The feast was always waiting, wasn't it? Can we be God's enemy? oh well, shut up. Is it possible to be God's enemy? I don't think so. If you tease your sister, I used to tease my sister a lot, a lot as real bully. If you steal a car, are you God's enemy? If you kill somebody, are you His enemy? I don't think so. We either believe that his love is unconditional or, or it isn't. So end of sermon. What you do is you, for that you came. Now back to poetry. Have we had any observations or insights? Has anything been revealed to us about this poem that we needed a book of theory, a college class, a high school diploma for? Do we even need a high school diploma to have the experience with the poem that we have been having? You need to be literate. You need to have about a grade, what, education. I have a daughter in grade one. She's seven. Couldn't she get everything we've said? So anything that we've discussed or noticed or enjoyed about this poem that she couldn't enjoy or notice? I, I don't want to be bullish about this. If there is, then there is. But is there, Josh? Yeah, I think she might struggle to articulate in the same way that she she wouldn't be able to put it in these words. And if I put it into these words, she might be like, "Yeah, whatever." But couldn't she? feel the full swoon. She could hear all that alliteration. She could grasp the basic idea. I think you're not your brother and we don't want you to become someone else. She could grasp that the basic thesis of the poem. She could grasp. She could enjoy all of its sound effects. She could notice. Oh yeah, I comes into the poem and he wasn't there before. She could notice that. What about uh, was your experience, after all this, after chewing on phrase after phrase, spiraling off into idea after idea. I'll read the poem again. As kingfishers, and the question is, is it that much different to you than it was when I first read it? That's the question. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells, stones ring. Like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors, each one dwells. Sells, goes itself. Myself, it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I say more, the just man justices, keeps grace, that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ, for Christ plays in ten thousand places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his to the Father through the features of men's faces. I don't know about you, but... It's more or less the same to me than it was at the beginning, isn't it? You think, oh wow, that was good. The discussion actually was a kind of massive distraction, wasn't it? In a way. You you have experiences with poems and they mean something to you, but it's no particular insight or it's not like you learned something today about rhyme or meter or spondees. Oh, I'm going to now, I know how to unlock poetry. It was a life moment. It was an event. It was an emotional, spiritual thing that happened to you. You think, Well, that's what a poem can be for me. You know what I mean? But that was present. I don't know if that was teased out because of or or inside of the conversation. I mean, maybe it was. Maybe it was. I just love this phrase that T.S. Eliot says. He says, the meaning of a poem is the meat that a thief throws to the dog so he can go burgle the house. Think about that. You think, oh, the poem means this. The poem means that. This is all a distraction. The real event is happening over there. And it's me reading the poem out loud and thinking, "Wow, that was cool." So we think, "Oh, it means that." It means that we have this hour-long discussion. That's us throwing meat to a dog, so that the real experience of the poem happened at the very start of our conversation and at the very end when I read the poem. I think it wasn't. It wasn't the main event of today's class. Wasn't what happened in between. This is again. This is what I think. The Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. I think the Judeo-Christian version of this is that wonderful moment in Exodus when Moses asks the burning bush, who should I say has sent me? And he hears in reply the answer, I am that I am. This poem and every poem says, I am that I am. I am unique and cannot be reduced to a generality. Even after a, a big, long discussion of a poem like this, you might say to yourself, well, I feel like I understand the poem better now. But it's not meant to be understood. It's meant to be experienced. I love what the Russian film director Tarkovsky says, who makes movies that are very strange and surreal and make you think like they need interpretation. But he says, my, my pictures, my movies, do not claim to require any deciphering. Again, the Judeo-Christian version of this, I suppose, is when in Genesis, that one, those wonderful moments when, I mean, God is a maker too. He's making the poetry, the book of the world. The poem of the world, yeah? So he makes his poem, and he looks over it and says, It is good. God saw that it was good. I love this phrase so much. It implies a kind of surprise, like creation, as it turned out, wasn't completely planned, but involved the organic and the spontaneous. Did he plan for an octopus to look that way? You know, there's a lot of um, surprise involved. He didn't know what it would look like until he saw it, and he liked what he saw. And I also love that he can't paraphrase or summarize or theorize. The only theory God has of his own work is, it it is good. And I think that's all we need to say as poetry readers. You know, even on those days when I ask you to bring in a poem that you like, and we take turns reading them, and you're allowed to say, if you have anything to say, And you get to say why you like this poem. Most people just say (laughs) version of, I like it because it's good. We're kind of left speechless when asked this question. And maybe we realize that it's kind of an annoying and unimportant question to be asked. Why do you like this? Because it's good. God saw it and saw that it was good. Something that this poem does that thrills us is the opposite of something that this other poem does that thrills us. X poem is completely opposite to Y poem. Or X person's way of writing a poem is the exact opposite of Y person's. Yet they're both great poets and they're both great poems. There's no box, no label, no bag that will sum it all up. Whitman says, I cannot travel that way for you. You have to make your own way. Which I think is a core message of this very poem that we're reading right now, which we'll get to hopefully in a second if I stop rambling. But I, I, I suppose that maybe the best way of phrasing it would just be to not set a false idol up. The poem is the thing. It's like a menu in a restaurant. They're helpful. You want them. You know, you don't order food without a menu. But they're not the main of it. You can't eat the menu. So the conversation that we've had about the poem is the menu. But the meal, what nourishes us, is just reading the poem. It's just reading the poem. This is what I think. And that's what the poem is about, actually. It's one reason why I kind of chose it. I chose it partly accidentally but partly on purpose. That's what the poem is about. What I do is me for that i came myself it speaks and spells you can't paraphrase this a discussion an hour long discussion of the poem is not a replacement for the poem because the poem is what it is and for that it came you can't replace the poem with a theory of a poem or a course about the poem or a handbook about the poem so maybe if i have if i have anything to teach you it's that i mean it could be possible that you this class doesn't have a purpose other than to teach you that you don't need this class. Which I suppose means it does kind of have a purpose. You know what I mean? This is a weird paradox, I suppose. Dogen, the great Zen Japanese master, says, um, Before enlightenment, a mountain was a mountain. While I was striving to gain enlightenment, a mountain was no longer a mountain. You know, meaning like, oh, I saw that it was like shadows and color and forms, or maybe atoms. After enlightenment, it was a mountain. That's what he says. And I don't mean it was like mountain 2.0. A flower is a flower. Remember the Buddha story. You have to maybe go through reading all of those stupid theory books and going through writing all those horrible papers to convince yourself. Sc- I can tell you. I know. I see the time. I can tell you you don't need this class or a theory or a book. I can tell you. But you might think, oh, but you have a PhD. You're hiding the real knowledge. You must have the juicy PhD bits hidden. What are all these pages for? I mean, yeah, I could show them to you. They're embarrassing. Um <laughs> No, you don't need it. What my PhD gave me was the knowledge that I didn't really need it. I mean, I needed it to get this job to teach. So I absolutely needed it. But you know what I mean? It, it's not a, it wasn't a realm I entered and was given the secrets of the, of the poetry and then exited with these secrets, these juicy secrets. But maybe I wouldn't have realized that if I hadn't sweat and bled over all those pointless papers. Maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe you need to sweat and bleed over those pointless papers so you can see in retrospect, I didn't need those papers, did I? And now for the poem of the day, similar ideas from a totally different tradition, a couple short poems from the 14th century Persian poet Hafiz, who expresses a similar idea of the ubiquity of the divine. The first is called You're It. God, disguised as a myriad of things and playing a game of tag, has kissed you and said, you're it. I mean, you're really it. Now it does not matter what you believe or feel, for something wonderful Major League Wonderful is someday going to happen. And the second poem is called What the Hell? The real love I always keep a secret. All my words are sung outside her window, for when she lets me in I take a thousand oaths of silence. But then she says, Oh, then God says, What the hell, Hafiz? Why not give the whole world my address? Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I'm not sure what's going to be coming up next, but in the meantime, happy reading.